Our study tonight out of the book of Jeremiah, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, standing in the gate of the Lord's house, stand in the, uh, the, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Verse 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. So God sends Jeremiah to the, to the entrance gates, to the temple, and tells them to proclaim to the people as they come in, don't believe the lying words. Don't say the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord are these. That's similar to Yeshua going up on the Mount of Olives and the disciples saying, look at this temple. And saying, don't trust in this temple. These stones are going to be broken down and not one stone will remain upon another. And exactly as he said, exactly as he prophesied, so it came to pass within 30 or so years. Don't trust in the temple. Don't say the temple, the temple, the temple. The temple is not our salvation. The building is not our salvation. The crystal cathedral is not our salvation. The temple in Jerusalem, we've been through several. We've had the, the sanctuary one, and then Solomon's temple, and then Nehemiah, Ezra temple. Our trust is not in buildings. Our trust is not in anything on this earth. And in our application for us, don't trust in your house. Don't trust in your car. Don't trust in your finances. Don't trust in your job. Don't retire, trust in your retirement account. Certainly don't trust in Social Security or government or, you know, pension plans or anything. Don't put our trust in any of these things. They're just lying words. But especially in context here, they were making an excuse for their salvation. And we can do the same thing. We can think our religion, we can think the congregation uh, or the synagogue is the building. Where is your synagogue? Our synagogue is where everyone, our, our members are. Wherever they are throughout the week, that's where our synagogue is. On Friday night, the majority of us gather together, if they're not sick or away on vacation or something like that. Then we are here. <laughs> But the rest of the week, the synagogue is in the hair salon or in the uh, restaurant or in their home or in their job or in their profession or wherever they're at. That's where the synagogue is. It's not in a building. It's not in a structure. We use the structure to have a set place that we can gather together. Makes it a lot easier than sending out an announcement every week, well, we're meeting under this tree this week and in this park this week, and someday we may need to do that. There have been historical times where the people of God have had to do that. And not as easy to send out a message then. In some cave somewhere, and some hidden place somewhere. But for now, it's convenient to have a place. But that's not where our salvation is. It's not in buildings. It's not in trusting in these edifices. It's 
not in the beauty of them. We put so much time and energy into it, and so much of our budget can be eaten up by it. But that's not where our focus needs to be. Our focus needs to be in reaching those who don't know the Lord. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's our calling. That's why we exist as a congregation. That's why we exist as individuals. To share God's love with those who don't know it. Pretty simple. Oh, trust in the temple. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord are these things, these stones. No, it's not. That's not the temple of the Lord. Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Lord? We are the temple of the Lord. That each one of us together are fit stones, Peter calls us. Yeshua, our chief cornerstone. And then we are stones building up the building of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We individually and we corporately are the temple of the Lord. That's where we need to put our trust in the Lord. We rely on him. He is the cornerstone that we put our trust in and we put our weight upon. And then build together, loving one another, unified together, and adding new stories to the building and new additions to the building of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as we bring more people to know him become part of the temple of the Lord. So it's not confined to four walls that never grows, but it's growing continually in people, knowing the Lord. That's what the temple of the Lord is. And we'll see a little bit more. Jeremiah will elaborate a little bit more on how they're using that. We'll get more into the, the crux of what they were meaning by the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord of these in a few more verses. Verse 5, if you thoroughly amend your ways, if you thoroughly execute judgment between neighbors, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood or walk after other gods, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So a wonderful promise. I've given this land to you forever and ever, but it's conditional on the ifs. So even the forever and ever is conditional on the ifs. Forever and ever is not always forever and ever. God is forever and ever because God is sinless and God is self-existent. But God's promises to us are conditioned on the ifs. If we thoroughly amend our ways, if we change, if we allow God to change our hearts and our lives, if we come to him through repentance, through confession, through receiving forgiveness through the Messiah, through receiving new hearts and new minds and new lives that execute judgment between neighbors, blessed are the peacemakers, that don't oppress the stranger or the fatherless or the widow, that don't shed innocent blood, that don't go after other gods, that walk worthy of the Lord, that minister to those that are in need through the Holy Spirit living in us, ministering that love out of us, then God will plant us and keep us in the land that he has promised to us forever and ever. Conditional. 
Conditional are our surrender to God and allowing God to work in us. But they were trusting in their birthright. They were trusting in the temple. They were trusting, look at Solomon built this big thing. Look at these walls. Look at our fortified cities. We don't have to worry about Babylon. Look at what we have here. Look at the promises that God gave to us. Well, your promises that God gave us are conditional. They are for God's children. And if we choose not to be God's children, he's not going to force us to stay in the home. Verse 8, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. So all week long, sin and sin and sin and sin, but as long as you come to the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, once a week or once a month or a couple times a year, well, then you're okay. Then you're safe. Don't believe these lying words. And really, no different today. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. People still today trust in a weekly service, a once-in-a-while confession, a birthright or a heritage or an immersion or a confession or repentance years and years ago, regardless of how they're living now. And think, well, we can just continue to sin and continue to sin, but as long as I go and ask forgiveness, then I'm okay. Once a year between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I, Yom Kippur, Kippur, I confess it all, well, then I'm okay. No, Solomon's saying, no, 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 it's not how it works. Or, or Jeremiah, it's not how it works. Don't trust those lying words, don't continue to do all these things, sinning, and then say, well, we're delivered to do these abominations because we came into the house of the Lord. See how good I am, God? See, I'm sitting here. See how good I am? I threw a couple dollars in the tzedakah box. I'm not like... Those other people out at work, it's not like those other people, my neighbors, well, they don't attend anywhere. We're not to compare ourselves with others. We compare ourselves with the Lord and what the Word of God says. What God wants to do in us, individually and personally. And is calling upon each of us, while there's some basic things that the Scriptures apply to everyone, plan of salvation applies to everyone. The way to salvation is for everyone. The commandments of God are for everyone. But the application of the gifts and talents and the calling that he has upon us is different for everyone. Not everyone's called like Jeremiah to be a prophet and to go and speak. Jeremiah was a Kohen. Not all the Kohen were called to do exactly as Jeremiah did. He does have a different calling on our lives that needs to be fulfilled as well. But the way to salvation, the plan of salvation, the commandments of God apply to us all. And just asking forgiveness and going to the temple don't meet those conditions. It's not the outward doing. It's the inward heart that needs to be changed. It's not a behavior modification 
There's a lot of people bound for hell sitting in a lot of pews throughout the world. It's not just going in religiosity and sitting. There are countries that force people to sit in pews. There have been times in America's history where people have been forced to sit in pews. Well, that didn't get them to heaven just by sitting in a pew. It's the heart that God changes. Not the outward actions. I could take your dead corpse and sit it here. And that's not going to get you to heaven. But it's a changed heart. And that comes with surrender to the Lord. And allowing God to do his miracle of a heart transplant. To born us anew. Through the death and confession to the Messiah. Accepting of his life in place of our life. And in our heart. Verse 11. Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Yeshua quotes this. He quotes a portion from Isaiah, where Isaiah says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what God desired, not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles to come and worship in God's house. But we've changed God's house, which should be a house where prayer is, and prayer is want, and prayer is done. A house of prayer and praise. A house for all nations to come and worship the Lord. And yet, and then he quotes from Jeremiah, but you've made it a den of thieves. Taking and manipulating, trusting in the ceremonies, in the traditions, instead of in the living God and resting in him. Go to my place in Shiloh where I set my name at first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. He's referring here to Shiloh, a city in northern Israel and northern tribes, northern kingdom. After Solomon, right, the kingdom was split, civil war. In the north, Israel, the south, Judah, which was Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. In the north, the other ten tribes. Shiloh was the original place that the temple was placed, that the sanctuary, the Mishkan that Moses had built, the, the cloth tabernacle, was placed in Shiloh. From Moses' day all the way through the judges, all the way to David, after past David, all the way till Solomon. And then the temple was built in Jerusalem. So he says, go look to Shiloh. Shiloh had the temple at one time. Shiloh had the temple for hundreds of years, almost 500 years. The temple was there. And what's Shiloh today? Well, by Jeremiah's time, the Assyrians have come and, and taken the majority of Israel captive and dispersed them, never to be seen of again. Destroyed the cities. So go look at Shiloh. The temple was there. That didn't help it at all. So what? The temple is here in Jerusalem. That's not going to help it if we stay in sin. Not in relying in the things. It's a life God wants. God's not looking for a building. God's looking for us. Trust in him. Surrender to him. He doesn't love our buildings. He loves us. Can't take our buildings with us. 
right? You've never seen a hearse a, 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 with a U-Haul behind it? Right? We can't take our stuff with us to heaven. God's looking for us. He loves us individually. He loves us the way we are. He accepts us the way we are. And he loves us too much to leave us how we are. He takes us and then he molds us and he makes us as we surrender and allow ourselves to become soft clay in his hands. That's the choice we can make. We can be hard-hearted or we can be soft. We can surrender or we can say, no, I'm okay how I am. Look at all the list of things that I've done. Look at all the things I've given. Look at how many times I've attended. Or we can surrender and say, God, take me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, my hands, my eyes, my mind, and guide me and use me wherever you want and however you want. That's what God wants. He wants us. He wants us to be married to him, to be bonded to him, to be united with him. The location is not, people will worship the land, people worship America, people worship Israel. We got great resources in the United States. Israel has created great resources there. Got some beautiful places to go swimming and beautiful beaches. Beautiful places. Beautiful architecture, beautiful history. But it's not about this dirt on this earth. It's not about the sand that's here. It's not about the trees that are here. Take away our foundation in the word of God. Take away the principles that come out of God's word and these nations would be nothing. Even with its great resources, these countries would be nothing. It's not the land, it's not the, this earth. It's not the wealth, it's not the people. It's the heart. That makes it great. Verse 13, because you have done all these works and spoke to you, I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust and to this place which I gave you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. I'll do to Jerusalem what I did to Shiloh. Even though I placed my name there, even though I've called it, even though my temple is there, why? Because of us. Verse 15, I will cast you out of my sight as I've, as I've cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim, the northern tribes. Just like I took them, that's where you're going as well. To Babylon. Don't trust in this city. Therefore, do not pray for this people. Now he's speaking to Jeremiah. Therefore, do not pray for this people nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. That's pretty amazing. Tell the Jeremiah, don't even pray for them. I'm not going to listen to you. That's amazing. How could God say that? Isn't there always hope? How can he say that? 
Well, the Psalms tells us that God will not hear our prayer if there's sin on our hearts, sins in our lives. Sin blocks God from being able to hear our prayers. Not that there was sin in Jeremiah's heart, but God cannot move if we don't let him. Our freedom to choose to allow God to work in our life or not to is the most powerful thing in the entire universe. It is more powerful than God. And so if we choose to harden our hearts, all the prayers are not going to help. We need to choose to surrender to the Lord. So he says, don't even pray for them. Their destiny is sealed. Unless all the ifs. Thus says the Lord God, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Jeremiah uses this term a couple times. It'll burn and not be quenched. And that's what happens to Jerusalem. He calls it, it was burned with an unquenchable fire, the Bible describes it. Well, Jerusalem's not still burning today. This is a biblical definition of meaning unquenchable fire and not be quenched. In other words, it won't be put out until it's burned up completely. It won't burn halfway. There won't be any stalks of trees. There won't be any sections of buildings. Not quenched till it's all, everything's demolished. Until again, like not one stone upon another imagery. 21, verse 21, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, offer burnt offerings along with your other sacrifices and eat it yourself. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, I did not speak to them and give them commandments only about burnt offerings and sacrifice. I also gave them a command, obey my voice. This is what he's getting to with the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They were trusting in the sacrifices. We see this in Isaiah and other places as well. Trusting in the sacrifices, the idea, well, hey, I'll just sin all week long, no problem, I'll just bring a lamb. And I'll just ask forgiveness, and God will forgive me, and then the next week I'll just continue doing what I'm doing. As long as I keep on bringing the burnt offerings, I'll pay my due, then I'm okay. It's like, like, like a paying for sins, like an indulgence. Well, as long as I can do this all week long and all I got to pay is a little bit for this, a lamb or something like that, oh, hey, that's not too bad. Well, that's well worth it. I'll just continue doing what I want and then just a lamb every once in a while. And I'm forgiven. He's saying, no, that's not how it works. I don't want the lamb. I don't want the burnt offerings. Eat it yourself if you want. It's not going to do you any good if there's no intention of repenting, of changing, of allowing me to change you is what God is getting at. But really, it's no different than today. When all we do is rely on the Messiah's death and forgiveness for us, and think that's where it stops. But there's a lot of people who live that way. There's a lot of people who believe that. There's a lot of preachers who teach that. Well, I can just continue in my sins, well, hey, I'm just human anyway. And, but God forgives me. Well, we're just forgiven. There's even a bumper sticker. I've seen it on many cars. Believers are not perfect. They're just forgiven. 
That's not what God wants. That's not what God has asked for. God is powerful enough to change us, not just forgive us. His forgiving, he did without us. He did that before we were born. He did that before we were created. As far as he's concerned, he did it from the foundation of the earth, as far as his plan. But then the Messiah came and physically did it, became the sacrifice for us. And we think, well, hey, I'll just go say my confession. Oh, I'll just accept the Messiah already did that for me. I'm forgiven. So then I can continue to live in sin and continue to do wrong things? He says, no. It's not about just burnt offerings. It's about obedience as well. That's only a half of the salvation that God provides for us. God doesn't only save us from the punishment of sin. He also saves us from sinning. He delivers us from the temptation. Delivers us from it. Gives us victory over it. That's the second part of salvation. Two parts. Justification and sanctification. They both go together. They can't be separated. They have two different roles, but both are important. One is the forgiveness that God did for us, the justification God did for us without us. The second is the sanctification, God making us holy. Still God. God did the first, God does the second. But the second he only does with our permission and through us. The first he did without us, by himself, dying for our sins, which we received through confession and faith in that atonement paid. But the second he needs to do with our permission and that he does through us and in us. And it, the only way to heaven is the combination of both. And yet there's masses of people, almost everybody else on the planet, who doesn't go through those two, except those two basic premises and allow them to be worked in their lives. Everyone else falls into one or two categories. Either trusting in some God, whether the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, or some other God that they follow, for his love, for his mercy, for his just so good. Or their own good work, so they're just trusting in this Loving God who just forgives. God is so good, he must forgive everything. Kind of a pseudo-justification. And just in that, and even that, not an accurate one. Or secondly, that their good actions, their good works, are going to get them to heaven. That they did this, and did this, and did this, and haven't done this, and haven't done this. And working their way. But God says it's both. And here's a text that brings it out in both. And it's throughout the Bible that it's the combination that gets us to heaven. It's the harmony of both the whole entire Bible, the first part of the Bible, the second part of the Bible. It's grace and truth. It's mercy and law, all blended together. Not one without the other, but blended together. The sacrifice is yes, but also obey. I also gave them this command, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. That's a wonderful promise, and a wonderful commandment. Obey the voice of the Lord, and the promise, he will be our God. That's a wonderful promise. And so it's conditional. 
It's a conditional on the obedience. Now, we cannot obey without him. We can only do both parts only through him. He empowers us through his spirit to be obedient. Be my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. Not some of the ways. Not we'll walk as whatever is convenient for you. Not walk whatever you can do on your own. And then just the rest just say, well, hey, we're just human. Walk in all of my ways and it will be well with you. Want to be well with you? Be well with my soul? Then receive his forgiveness through his sacrifice and receive his Holy Spirit to transform us and bring us into obedience. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in the building. Don't trust in others. Trust in the Lord to do it in us and through us. Very powerful. Very plain. And as simple as that is, accept his forgiveness and allow him to change us. As simple as that is. The masses down through the ages have said, no, I don't want that. Verse 24, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their own evil hearts and went backward and not forward. And still the same today. We'd rather listen to our own evil heart. My heart tells me so. The heart is deceitful and above all things, desperately wicked. Don't believe the heart. Don't trust in the heart. I don't think so. That's not how I feel about it. Who cares how you feel about it? What's the <laughs> word of God say about it? That's what matters. That's what counts. I took you out of Egypt. Did I command you to just go and get your own sacrifice? Or also to live righteously as well. Verse 27, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. And that might be our case as well, but we still need to go. You shall speak to them all these words. And Jeremiah is standing there at the temple. We need to go and tell other people and warn other people. And even if there is no more hope, still called to witness, still called to give the opportunity. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the, this, the generation of his wrath. This is the burden Jeremiah received. Heavy, heavy load he received. Hard job he received go and continue to stand there and preach to these people and they're not going to obey you. They're not going to listen. They're going to reject it and they're going to reject you with it. But go and stand and warn the nation. Warn the people. That's what God's called us to. As we get closer and closer to the end times, people are not going to want that dual part, that, that blended part, that full salvation. Justification and sanctification blended together lived out in their lives. We need to accept it, we need to live it, and we need to share it with others. Simple and as plain as it is, the majority will never want it, but there will be those that will. And that's our calling, to go and to seek and to save that which is lost 
Verse 33, corpses of this people will be food for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. No one will chase the birds away, the vultures away. This city is going to become desolate. It's going to become like Shiloh. People are going to be taken captive. The city is going to be destroyed unless you repent, unless you turn your heart to the Lord. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Heavy message. The city, eating and drinking, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. world will go on. People say, hey, this is how it's always been. We've always done it this way. We've always followed these traditions. It's always been good enough. It was good enough for our parents. Good enough for us. Look, we've got this wonderful country. Look, we've got this wonderful building. Look, we've got this wonderful rabbi, this wonderful minister. Look at all these things we have. Look, at I got this certificate when I was immersed. Look, at I got my ketubah. Look at this picture on the wall. Look at I wear this bracelet all the time. I've got a bumper sticker that says, love the Lord. Look at all these things. The Lord's going to say, where was your heart? Where was your life? Did we surrender to him? Did we receive his sacrifice? Did we allow him to come into us and live his conditions out of us? Did we care for those in need? Did we minister to those in need? Were we peacemakers or were we causing problems? Were we gossipers and backbiters? Or were we peacemakers? We think we were better than others. Or do we go and minister and do what we can to help others in need? We amend our ways and meet the conditions of the Lord. We will abide in the land eternally, in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth, forever and ever and ever. But this old world, it's going to be like Jeremiah's Jerusalem. It's going to burn up. It's all going to melt with fervent heat. It's all going to experience an unquenchable fire. It's all going to become ashes. It's all going to be destroyed. Can't take anything with us. Surrender to the Lord. Receive him. Trust in him. Basically, Jeremiah's message here in chapter 7, like many other parts in the Bible, trust and obey. Trust in his salvation that he's given to us. The animal, the sacrifice is pointing to the Messiah. 
trust in Him, believe in Him, have faith in Him, and be filled with Him and obey. And walk in all of His ways. And it will go well with you. Do we have a choice tonight? As they had then. Do we want to receive God's directions and allow Him to work in us and through us to meet His conditions? Or do we want to just do things our ways according to the evil intents of our hearts? That's what it comes down to. As we pray together, it's my hope and my prayer that each of us will surrender and resurrender our lives to the Lord. And allow Him to reveal anything in us, any wicked way in us. Individually, that there be no thing that Yeshua said, there's just one thing. May there be nothing on our record. May we stand before him, cleansed and redeemed, walking in all of his ways that he reveals to us today. Perfect in his sight, by his grace. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we are thankful for your word and we are thankful for the options, the two options, the options that were given to Adam and Eve, the options that Joshua gave to the people over and over again and that you gave us. Lord, we don't want our ways. We don't want the intent of our heart. But we want your heart and we want your mind. We want to surrender to you and we want to Accept your forgiveness through the Messiah's death. We want to receive of your Holy Spirit to live inside us and empower us. To give us burdens for the lost, love for those in need. Use us in being peacemakers and giving your warning and giving your message. And living your truth with actions, with kindness goodness, with righteousness, with obedience. Live in us and through us. Continually reveal to us any area that is not right. Any area that we're stealing and murdering. Corrupt and angry, bitter, lacking in faith, and unfaithful and selfish in pride. Reveal it and convict us, remove it from us, and lead us in the way everlasting. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.